you know, let the customer drive the process. Try not to let the technology drive the process. I mean, if you come up with something that is just really fabulously wonderful and as far as the technology goes, park it for a while and then do the customer discovery process to see if there's anybody who really cares. Welcome to Clean Tech Forward, a foresight podcast where we explore clean tech customers, capital, and Canada's path to net zero. Tune in to learn more about Canada's most exciting clean tech startups, industry success stories, investor insights, and academic initiatives as we accelerate the growth and impact of clean tech together. Welcome to Clean Tech Forward. I'm Jeanette Jackson, CEO of Foresight Canada. Today, I'm on the podcast talking with Chris Reed, CEO of Econa Power, and Brian Lee, partner at Gowling WLG. We're talking about the future of hydrogen technology, current barriers to mass hydrogen adoption, and the role IP protection plays in the development and deployment of these technologies. This Clean Tech Forward podcast is supported by Gowling WLG. A global leader in intellectual property law, Gowling WLG works alongside Canadian clean tech companies to develop IP strategies that maximize business opportunities and increase market share while protecting valuable innovation. From idea to investment to international expansion, Gowling WLG understands the potential of your intellectual property at every stage of growth. Visit gowlingwlg.com backslash cleantech to learn how they can support your business today. Chris and Brian, welcome to Clean Tech Forward. Thanks, Jeanette. Nice to be here. Thanks, Jeanette. So I'm going to start because Chris and I have a little bit of history. He is the founding EIR at Foresight Canada and uh, has supported many ventures in the Foresight community before embarking on just another one of his many ventures. So Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're up to at Acona Power? Sure, um, that's true, Jeanette. We 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 have some war stories that go way back, don't we? I mean, not not way way back. I don't want to I don't want to date us, but you know, back a while. Yeah. Uh, so I was at Foresight back in the early days when it was Neil Huff and you and myself and a couple others uh, when we were building that forward was working with quite a few great young companies at the time. I had been working uh, previously with Celex Power, which was a fuel cell and hydrogen company. Um, which was sold to plug in the late 2000s and found myself at Foresight after that. Uh, and with my eye always on the hydrogen business and uh, especially around clean hydrogen production. Because when I was working at Telex, clean hydrogen, or sorry, hydrogen, never mind clean hydrogen, the cost of hydrogen for our customers was always the biggest issue. At, at Celex, we were converting distribution centers, large distribution centers like that Walmart and Cisco Foods and and Kroger and Amazon would run over to hydrogen and fuel cells from batteries and, and electricity. And it was all a productivity play for them. It was how many pallets per hour they can move. That's why they were buying the fuel cells and the hydrogen. But it was always a hydrogen cost, which was the big gate item and you know drove the sales cycle the longest. So I always felt that there, you know, there were, we needed to be able to drive the cost of hydrogen down. And now that in the past few years that clean hydrogen has really you know, come into its stride, it's even more important than ever. So in 2016, 2017, we started uh, Econa Power with a couple of founders that you probably know too, Ken Kratchmar and Gary Schubach, and then Dave Lebo joined us afterwards. And we, um, we, we went to tackle that specific problem. So that's what Econa is about. Econa is a 
clean hydrogen production company born out of customer engagement, you know, with the oil and gas industry, with, uh, you know, the industrial hydrogen industry to really try to understand what was going to look like breakthrough or high impact in clean hydrogen production. And after a lot of consultation and coming away with what we would call a customer requirements document or a specification sheet for what low-cost clean hydrogen should look like for these customers, we went off into a technology formulation program where we, we scoured the world for technology that we felt could meet those customer requirements. And in doing so, came up with a pyrolysis technology that we really like, and we've been building the company out ever since. That's incredible. I'd love to learn more about your journey to share with the audience. Um, but first, let's jump over to Brian. Brian, you are no newbie to hydrogen. Someone told me that you have a history in the space before jumping into international intellectual property practice. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you've come from and, and how you got here? Thanks, Jeanette. I'm going to feel old by saying this, but I've been involved in the BC hydrogen and fuel cell sector since like the 1990s when um, I was in-house IP counsel at Ballard Power Systems. And it's, it's been really a great ride uh, seeing, um, you know, the sector grow over the last 20 or 25 years. So since I left uh, Ballard, I joined the Galling where I've been, you know, since the year 2001 and have helped a number of BC and other Canadian uh, fuel cell and hydrogen companies um, develop and protect their IP portfolio. Um, and it's, it's been, you know, it's been nice. Industry really surged in the 2000s. Um, a lot of activity in the, you know, the PEM area for fuel cells, um, hydrogen fueling. I did um, some of the early IP work for a company called General Hydrogen, which is now uh, part of Plug Power. And then things kind of went quiet in the beginning of the 2010s, but it's you know been nice to see in the last three or four or five years now a real resurgence in the hydrogen space, and I'm pleased to uh, to help Econa with their IP portfolio as well as other uh, Canadian and BC uh, fuel cell companies and hydrogen companies uh, in this space. So Brian, I'm going to leave it with you for a few minutes here. Um, we know that there's something happening globally in terms of people's willingness to accelerate investments in everything clean tech and sustainability. Uh, Canadian companies are getting more opportunity than ever to export their product services, business models, technologies, however you want to frame it, you know, to new markets. You know, why don't you share with us, you know, your perspective on the role that strong IP protection has for ventures that are interested in becoming a globally competitive clean tech company? For sure. Um, it, it's no secret that climate change has really raised the urgency of um, our need to find solutions and, and to do things differently in terms of how we uh, consume energy. And one of the ways we're going to really lead ourselves um, is by developing new technologies to um, produce energy in a clean way and to consume energy in a cleaner way. We're really poised in British Columbia to be leaders in that area, partly because, uh, you know, we, the BC government had invested very early in hydrogen and fuel cell technologies dating back to the 80s. As a result, the, you know, the, the British Columbia is one of the world's leading sectors in clean energy and in hydrogen production. Other jurisdictions have imposed clean energy uh, mandates, for example, in the transportation sector, 
countries are are mandating that vehicles be non non fossil fuel emitting by the 2030s. So hydrogen fuel cells, for example, is one solution to to producing um, emissions free transportation. And a lot of BC companies that I've worked with uh, see opportunities in commercializing their technology elsewhere. For example, in particular China. Um, and as a result, their IP strategy has to follow kind of where their business goes. And it's important, I think, for invest uh, for these companies in terms of protecting their business to secure IP protection, not just in Canada, but in the jurisdictions that they're going to do business. So there are strategies that we can employ, including filing international patent cooperation treaty applications to secure their rights internationally. Um, and that's something that I think is quite important for sophisticated investors that are looking at whether these companies are businesses that you want to invest in. Because at, especially at the early stage, technology really is the primary asset for these companies. So protecting that asset is, is critically important to growing those, those companies. I remember myself with one of my early ventures. I'm too not going to date myself on this on this recording, but um, you know, getting that first round of patent drafted, you know, sitting in the shop and you know, learning. For me, I, I was not a patent expert and I'm not an engineer, but very quickly learned everything about electronics and uh, and provisional patents and non-provisional patents, and um, it's a journey and and a process. And an IP strategy became a, a pretty significant pillar of of our activity to protect that green space. You know, want to move it over to you, Chris. Uh, you know, you've talked about hydrogen, green hydrogen. You've talked about you know the importance of customer discovery in developing technologies that have a much higher probability of success in a customer discovery, not only from a business model perspective, but from an operational technology implementation perspective, have become fundamental components of our training at Foresight. Uh, and I know that as a trainer of trainers, you know, you, you started uh, Econa Power with that at the core. What did you learn going through that process? You know, were there major barriers in hydrogen that were stopping adoption uh, and sort of some key indicators that you can share on on what needed to be done to overcome that? Yeah, yeah, sure. First is it's uh, clean hydrogen. I, I think you said green. <laughs> so it's just, uh, you know, when, when we start talking about the colors, you know, it's part of my big peeve that we should be just talking about carbon intensity, but, but that's okay. I, I, for, as far as clean hydrogen goes, and, and, and developing that, you know, developing a venture based on customer engagement, the barriers, the, the things that I didn't expect when we were doing it was you, when you went actually go through that engagement process, you think, or at least I went into it thinking there was going to be one answer. And the actual answer what the customer, you know, when you, when you work with the customer and you distill down what it is that they actually are looking to, you know, to, to achieve is often different than what you think you're going in with. Um, so, you know, leaving yourself open to listening to what, you know, these people are, are telling you often they're, they're in a process of discovery themselves. Um, particularly when they're talking about, you know, things like beyond bitumen or, or energy transition or whatever the case may be, it's very important that you, you, you leave your, your preconceived notions behind as you're, as you're listening and working with those, um, you know, with those strategic partners to decipher, what it is that they're really looking for. Um, and, you know, ultimately, 
but I can give you a good example. I mean, we, we, we did a lot of work in a bunch of different areas. And, you know, when you, we, we were looking, I remember we were doing one analysis on RNG, for example, you know, you'd think it was certain elements of, of the technology itself, which were going to drive, you know, the cost so that you could produce RNG, for example, you know, at the same, at the same cost that you could produce and distribute fossil fuels. Um, it turns out it's not that at all. And it's all about feedstock and feedstock logistics. And, and, you know, if you go in with certain preconceived notions, you're probably going to be wrong. And, you know, even, even when you're engaging a customer like that and you're doing something, you know, at the get-go, uh, and when we were building out, you know, the customer requirements for, you know, what clean hydrogen needed to look like, it wasn't just about cost. It was about, um, obviously, it was about the, you know, the carbon intensity, but it was also about its availability. It was about its dispatchability. It was about its siteability. It was about its scalability. Those are all really, really important components to the value that you're bringing to the customer and drives you in a completely different technical direction many times when you consider everything together. So, you know, I, I guess um, the thing I learned was, you know, to listen more and, and, and park the preconceived notions before, you know, right at the, right at the beginning. Uh, Brian, you know, your history in this space, is that different than what you saw? I don't want to, I don't want to go back too far. You know, when you were at Ballard in the late 90s, is, is this an evolution of what the market's telling people? Yeah, I mean, for, for sure. I, I think when Ballard burst on the scene in the 90s, it was really more about the fuel cell technology itself. But the critical infrastructure to support the commercialization of fuel cells, in my mind, hadn't really caught up. And I, and I think there might have been a little bit of, a, um, you know, overpromising on the viability of this technology back in, my, back in the early days when I was starting out. What I've really noticed in the last recent years is a real focus on the infrastructure to support fuel cells, and in particular on hydrogen production technologies, such as, you know, the, the methane pyrolysis technologies done by Econa, other types of, you know, clean uh, hydrogen production technologies and, and supply infrastructure, you know, some of the fueling station innovations are, that are coming about transport. So I'm really starting to see a lot of that. And that gives me a lot of hope that the, the sector will um, be ready this time, I think, to deliver. And it's a real niche for um, this technology because there are certain, you know, applications that just don't work for battery-powered um, energy sources. You're going to need hydrogen in certain types of applications like long-haul trucks, marine shipping, and so forth. So that's the biggest change that I've noticed is, is more in the infrastructure side. Yeah, very, very interesting. I uh, recently switched to an electric car, full electric. Super happy I made that transition. I'm also learning about some of the limitations, you know, wanting to go, you know, more than 300 kilometers, especially if the weather's cooler and you need to heat your vehicle and your passengers and keep them warm and allowed to use all their tools and, and trinkets and you know, charge their phone, etc. So um, I'm excited to see what the, the future of hydrogen has uh, across all, you know, zero emission applications. Chris, we missed you at the BC Clean Tech Awards. I'm, I'm not mad, but it was obviously great to, to have some of your colleagues there live. 
you won the award for rising star uh, that goes to you know the company in bc that is leapfrogging ahead through commercialization and scale up and really gaining traction on solving a big problem and doing it quickly and well how did winning the award feel and and was it a surprise to you and your team it's terrific, um, and 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 thanks so much uh, for the nomination. Of the award it was it was fantastic. Um, you know, the whole team was excited about getting it. You know, it's important that uh, you know that we that we acknowledge you know the sector, especially in in Canada and in BC. Um, there's a lot of great companies out here doing a, some real terrific things. So um, I, I think Foresight's doing a great job. You know, shining a light on those companies. You guys have just uh, secured $79 million in a Series A round, which I would argue is probably one of the highest Series A rounds in Canada I've seen in a long, long time. I'm sure you have more stats on that. Where does this take you? What opportunities and next steps does this type of funding provide for, for Econa? Yeah, great. Yeah, we're just and, and we're at 83 now. Um, we just closed uh, a trailer investor for another 4 million. Yeah, so we're, we're quite excited about it. It takes us all the way past pilot phase. So we're in the, we're, we're moving into, we're in the TRL6 phase right now. We're building a 200 kilogram a day reactor. Next year, we're going to build a, a complete system brass board around that reactor so we can enact the entire cycle. Um, and then in 2024, um, by the middle of 2024, we'll commission uh, a one ton per day pilot facility. And at the same time, we have such great partners that came in in this round, syndicated customers, and we're working with them to you know, get the location for the first commercial plant set up, um, hopefully by the end of this year. Uh, and by the end of next year, with a little bit of luck, we'll be starting feed engineering with these customers with the idea that in 2025, um, we're not doing this sequentially, we're doing it as much as we can in parallel that we start to lay down first commercial facilities. So the money allows us to get right out to 2025, uh, which is great um, because we can put our heads down and, and work on the, uh, on the technology and the value engineering we need to do. I love it. I love it. Um, before we close off here, I've got a final question for both of you with your you know, vast knowledge and experience uh, as an entrepreneur, an innovator, as a supporter of innovation across many sectors, I'm sure, Brian, you know, what advice would you give, you know, the next generation of entrepreneurs in clean tech sustainability so that they can become the next Econa power? Brian, why don't I start with you? Look, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll answer in a, in a more focused way um, in terms of the area that I practice in, which is intellectual property. And I'll leave Chris to out to the, you know, the wider topics of a business perspective. But, you know, it's, it's really exciting to see um, a company like Econa succeed like it has to go from a small startup company to such a large Series A financing to, you know, the next stage, which is developing a pilot and hopefully uh, soon after commercial. Um, my advice to entrepreneurs is that your IP strategy has to very, very importantly, has to follow your business strategy very closely. You can't let the, 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 the IP strategy get out of sync, the rise of your commercial um, strategy. Uh, as you mentioned, Jeanette, early on, um, when you're starting up, when it's just you and maybe a few partners, you might just have enough money to scrape by to file a provisional application. 
and that's great because that's really important. Um, uh, uh, your, your, your innovation, your technology is your primary asset uh, back then and securing your IP rights is critically important, but you have so many other um, needs to, you know, to devote your budget to. And as you grow, those concerns will have to grow with your IP strategy. You'll start to have to think about broader issues like freedom to operate as you, you know, enter into the pilot and commercial phases. You're going to have to start thinking not just about your own patents, but also the patents of others, because you have to obviously make sure that you're not going to be stepping on, you know, patented territory by others. So as your business evolves, your IP strategy has to evolve. And as your, IP, as your business evolves, you'll have to be working with partners. And, you know, it, it happens over and over again, especially in this sector where, you know, innovation rarely happens in a vacuum and, and rarely happens entirely in-house. You're going to have to collaborate um, with, with, with third parties and you have to make sure that your agreements with third parties are robust enough to make sure that you have ownership to what you've developed and that you don't, um, you know, contaminate, if you will, your IP by partnering with another company who then uh, has a claim to your IP. So those are the, some of the things to think about as you're an entrepreneur growing, growing your business, you have to grow your IP strategy as well. Thank you, Brian. And uh, Chris, some closing remarks here? Sure, I'm just gonna agree violently with Brian <laughs> to start. <laughs> your technology and protecting your technology is very, very important. Um, I would just say, and Jeanette, you, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to sing from your song sheet, you know, let the customer drive the process. Try not to let the technology drive the process. I mean, if you have a real, if you come up with something that is just really fabulously wonderful and as far as the technology goes, park it for a while and then do the customer discovery process to see if there's anybody who really cares about it. Um, and let that customer lead what you're doing, you know, but staying in sync making sure that you understand, you know, what, what their, where their value comes from. And sometimes you can bring their value to them in unexpected ways that even they don't realize, but the value, they certainly understand where they get their value. And, and if you, if you're not paying attention to that, you could find yourself well down a pathway with millions of dollars under your belt and then facing a very painful pivot or a brick wall as the case with, with either of those, or neither of those are very pleasant. And, and the, you know, the other thing I would think about is, especially building energy tech, in the end, it's always cost, right? Cost and transparency are the two, you know, the two broadest pulls for the market. Having the lowest cost or the low cost solution um, is where industry will ultimately go. You know, all the chaff from, you know, uh, various government incentives and, and other, you know, other, uh, other incentive programs kind of run their course it always boils back down to cost. And I'm gonna add transparency in there. Customers, especially you know, B2B customers, industrial customers, if, it, if, it's, if it's a stretch for them to be able to deploy it, it will take a lot longer to commercialize. And I'm not saying that you can't have a destructive technology that's, that's not transparent and you won't win, you're just gonna spend a lot of time beating that drum before it actually happens. So customer-led cost and transparency were the things I would think about when I'm thinking about building a venture. Great. Thank you both so much. Some reflection on what both of you just said. You know, uh, Chris, I just recall intakes and different entrepreneurs coming in and, you know, we're saying, well, how much have you invested so far? And they'll say, well, 
I uh, I just remortgaged my house for a second time. And, <laughs> yeah. then, and, and then we say, how many customers have you talked to? And they say none. And then yeah. all of us, you know, our jaws drop and the face goes white. And then we say, okay, let's, let's just take a pause here. And uh, so I, I definitely agree. Let's take a pause, reflect, get talking to customers. And, and I think higher probability of success all the way. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so, so much. It's been a pleasure having you on Clean Tech Forward. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for listening. Join us next time when we talk to Tim Bailey from Gowling WLG about carbon tech innovation in Canada. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen and to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. To learn more about Foresight's programs, events, and more, visit us at foresightcac.com or follow us on social at foresightcac.com.